The reading this evening is taken from Acts um, chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Um, that this is on page um, 1105 in the Church Bibles. So Acts 11, beginning at verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord, Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered that the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift that he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. It's uh, great to be here, a uh, real privilege to share this whole day with you and um, to get to know um, many new faces, but a few people I've known from before, which is really lovely. Let me just pray. Lord, I just commit this time to you and ask that you would speak far beyond my words, that you would speak from your word and that you would light up our hearts to, to hear and to apply those things that you want us to, Lord. Put your finger where you, 
uh, want to, for us to, to take the next step in obedience. Uh, Lord, we rejoice in your love and thank you. Amen. So do keep your Bibles open at Acts chapter 11. Um, so I mentioned uh, that uh, I met Lynette, my wife, in uh, university. And um, uh, if you were here this morning, I mentioned that uh, her parents had heard about this boy called Peter. And so they invited me to come for the whole summer, which was a bit of a risk, I have to say. Um, and the very first meal I had in Singapore, which is the first time also in Asia, was in Lynette's parents' home, and they served me sea slug stew. Now, sea slugs are um, invertebrates that feed on the bottom of the ocean, and apparently they are edible. Um, and uh, that was the first dinner. The second dinner, I think, was steam congealed chicken's blood. Uh, the day after that was um, jellyfish tentacles and so on. Uh, and this is expensive food. Uh, and uh, believe me, I love most Singaporean food. But after a while, um, I think after I got married, I said to my mother-in-law, I do notice that we don't normally eat those things. She said, no, no, I was testing you. <laughs> she didn't want her daughter to be condemned to a life of fish and chips. And, and you know, I have to say, I, said, I love much of uh, uh, Asian cooking and so forth, but sea slugs, I... But I knew that it, I had to eat whatever was before me. And you pray the prayer, Lord, where you lead me, I will follow. What you give me, I will swallow. Or the slightly more desperate version, which is, Lord, I'll take it down if you keep it down. <laughs> I have to say, my son-in-law made his first trip to Singapore last year, and he completely showed me up, and he just walloped a lot and really enjoyed it. And so, well, he's, he's one on me. But I knew that eating what was before me was important, not particularly because of food or, or whether I like the taste of it or not, but because it's about people. I knew what was at stake. I wanted to marry this girl. But often when we're in situations where we're offered food, particularly in cross-cultural situations, it's not about whether we like the food or not. It's about showing respect and love to the people that we're eating with. And um, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which is uh, a verse that we looked at this morning, and a version of the Great Commission says, You'll receive power, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I mentioned this morning that this, this is not just a, a geographical journey that we might see in the maps of the back of our Bibles. This is a, a cultural journey. And you can trace each stage that the gospel took from uh, Jewish culture to the mixed culture of the Samaritans in chapter 8 and then on into, into true Gentile territory. And each stage that the gospel took required people of imagination and vision who could see that the purposes of God work out in the lives of people very different from themselves. But then it comes to Peter and Paul being very different people. Let me explain this. So I had two older brothers, and um, the oldest one has worked in South Africa. He speaks a, a, a language called Fanagolo, and um, he also worked in South America, worked in Venezuela. He speaks Spanish as well. 
Uh, he likes different kinds of food. He's interested in different people and different cultures. He's a man of the world in that sense. My other brother is much more your English meat and two veg guy. If he's being very adventurous, he can maybe push to a chicken tikka masala. But, but basically, he likes his, his, his food pretty plain. And, and I get the impression from reading the New Testament that Paul is a little bit like my older brother who grew up in, in two different cultures, in, in Jewish culture, but also with Greek influence, multicultural, multilingual. And yet Peter, a fisherman from Galilee, is much more your kind of kosher, meat and two veg sort of bloke. Uh, and yet, and, and even in Galatians 2, we see Peter's continuing to struggle cross-culturally. There are some people who love crossing cultures, for whom it's an adventure, a delight. Others, we find it hard. So it's very significant that God chose Peter and not Paul to bring the gospel across this really important cultural barrier into true Gentile territory. Now, the name Cornelius uh, doesn't actually come up in our passage, but that's what this is about. Um, Acts 11, 1 to 18 is the summary uh, or the synopsis of what happened in chapter 10. And um, Cornelius is the first clearly documented example of a true Gentile coming to faith. as the Ethiopian eunuch, but he was probably a Jew. And, um, and the Samaritans were kind of while they were considered not clean by the Jews, but they were neither really fully Gentiles either. But Cornelius was Roman, as to his citizenship and allegiance, and he was Italian, his cultural and ethnic background. But he was also described here as, uh, in chapter 10 as a God-fearer. Now, we come across this term God-fearer several times in the New Testament. It, it refers to a group of people who were non-Jews, Gentiles, um, who were disillusioned by the superstitions of the polytheistic religions of the time. And they were attracted to the, the morality and the purity of monotheistic worship of the Jews, and, and, and I think that it's actually, they found um, uh, ruins of, of synagogues with inscriptions for a section for God-fearers. They didn't become Jews, they didn't go through circumcision, they probably didn't follow all the dietary laws of the Jews, but they did worship alongside them to worship the one true God. And although Cornelius was a God-worshipper, believed in one God, and Acts chapter 10 tells us that he was active in prayer and works of charity, he was not saved. He did not yet have a saving knowledge of Jesus. And so Peter was sent with the message. But Peter had grown up thinking that Gentiles, non-Jews, were unclean and he was not supposed to socialize with them. And so God had to kind of drag Peter kicking and screaming to actually be willing to do this. I'm not quite sure it's a, a fantastic example of cross-cultural sensitivity when he basically turned up and said, well, normally I wouldn't touch you with a barge pole, um, but you know, God sent me so what you want. And that, that's not quite in the text, but I'm sure you understand what I mean. But we see this pattern through Acts where when people 
um, from a, a new people group. So the, 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 the Samaritans, the Jews first, and the Samaritans, and then the Gentiles, receive the Lord Jesus. There is a conspicuous outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is God saying, these people are my people. There's something of a two-year gap between Peter's visit to Cornelius and this point of time where he comes back to Jerusalem and he's taken to task by a group of circumcised believers, possibly converted Pharisees, who were really waiting to criticize him, saying, what were you thinking, Peter, of going and eating with an uncircumcised man? And Peter doesn't try to make a, an obvious defense. He simply retells the story, calling on six other Jewish men who were there and witnessed the whole thing. And what Peter describes here does not include any direct reference to the cross of Christ, and yet everything in this passage is a direct result of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. So because Jesus died and rose again, we have a freedom that we never knew about. And because Jesus died and rose again, we have a responsibility that was greater than we were aware of. Let's look at those two points. Firstly, a freedom we never knew. And as our children have grown up from being uh, into adults, not from adults, being into adults, we have taught them that freedom and responsibility uh, go together. And as parents, our core aims have not changed. Our values have not changed. But the rules that we have for when they're children are different from when they're teenagers and onwards. As when kids are small, we teach them stranger danger. Never talk to strangers. And yet, what are we doing today? We're encouraging one another to talk to strangers. And we do it all the time as adults. So what's happened? Is it that when we're little, strangers are bad, evil people? But when we grow up, they become nice people. No, it's not strangers that have changed. We have changed. We now have the power to deal with situations we didn't when we were children. And Peter needed to realize the food had not changed. And Gentile people had not changed. But he had changed because of the power and rule and reign of the Holy Spirit within him. Verse 5 uh, describes this sheet that came down from heaven in the vision. And the four categories there make it quite clear that God is showing him examples of all the main categories of animals, clean and unclean, including creeping things, reptiles, and sea slugs. And... and these were things that Peter would have been conditioned to avoid. Surely not, Lord, verse 8. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And passages like Deuteronomy 14 show us very clearly that the Jews were to avoid certain, uh, certain animals and certain meats. And um, it was part of their distinctiveness as God's people, a way of demonstrating holiness. But now, as believers... In Jesus, we are cleansed not from outward uh, uh, things, through, through outward observances of kosher laws, but by the rule and reign of the Holy Spirit in us through our faith in Jesus. Now, in many cultures today uh, and in those days, 
Any form of hospitality involves food, probably copious amounts of it. It's not really your kind of cup of tea and a biscuit thing. Uh, To go into Cornelius' house would have meant eating his food. And we need to understand that our freedom to eat anything as Christians is not just, not not because God has changed his mind, but that Jesus has fulfilled that part of the Old Testament law, and we are now free because we are free to connect with people. Our freedom is not about food at all, it's about people. But it also means that we have a greater responsibility than we had perhaps realized. You see, when we look at the implications of the cross, our freedom from sin, our new life in Jesus, our hope, our certain hope of eternity with with him, It comes with one great big label attached that says, this is not just for you. And this is not just for people like you. And for Peter, on that day, the Great Commission just got a whole lot bigger from reaching every Jewish person on the planet to reaching every human being on the planet. And being mostly Gentiles ourselves, it seems very obvious. Why couldn't Peter see it? Well, because he and the people of his day had, had basically been conditioned for a thousand years, keep away, stay together. Keep away, stay together. In mission circles, we talk about centrifugal mission and centripetal mission. I'm slightly worried. I'm probably in a room full of physicists, but... Um, in centrifugal mission and centripetal mission, basically it means either going out or drawing in. And Israel's mission to the nations was centripetal. They, they were to draw people to a center, to their community. This, uh, these verses from Deuteronomy 4 really say it. They say, Moses said, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you're entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? You see, Israel's mission was to be that shining community of living uh, lives centered on, on on a law that was light years ahead of its time. And whilst we know through Old Testament history they generally failed on a lot of those things, and yet in New Testament times we keep reading about these people called God-fearers. So there must have been some success. As I said earlier, people were being drawn to the uh, morality and purity of monotheism. But our mission from Pentecost onwards is not just centripetal, it is also centrifugal. We are given the power and the freedom and the responsibility not simply to be a shining community like those teenagers that that drew me to Christ when I was 16, 17, but to be people who go out and find the lost in the world today. And so Peter and the others had to be reconditioned. Instead of thinking about keep away, stay together, keep away, stay together, they now had a much greater 
purpose. So no wonder they were amazed in verse 18. So then God granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Now the the thing is, we think that we get this. As I say, most of us are Gentiles. And so it seems obvious to us this side of the cross. But very often, we do as Peter and the others did. We walk past daily people whom we have unconsciously selected out for salvation. Daily, we walk past people whom we have unconsciously selected out for salvation because they are just too different from us. You know, we can't really imagine having anything in common with the mum at the school gate who was wearing a hijab. We don't really think we have much in common with our Hindu colleague or the international student who seems very busy and very preoccupied and and very shy about making friends with uh, local people. Somebody else will reach them. Somebody else will stop and talk to them. Someone walks in the door, we go, well, somebody else is better at crossing cultures than me. I'm more of a Peter than a Paul, so I'll let somebody else do it. But I've seen firsthand, you know, that that invisible barrier which happens between us and people, even for Christians, just because we, we just don't think that that person can have anything in common And so we just walk past them. Essentially, we have selected them out for salvation. Just before going to university, I joined in a kind of week's traditional street mission uh, in West Bromwich. And being from Macclesfield in Cheshire, I had very little experience of any other culture. But just a day or two, actually I think it was three days, in West Bromwich, uh, where the, the population was about 40% South Asian. And I was amazed at the opportunities. And yet, nearly all of our team essentially continued the street outreach as if they were not there. Uh, we had some Gospels in other languages. I'm not aware that anybody used them. But I had one conversation with one guy who said he was from the Punjab. And I gave him a Gospel of John in Punjabi. And he walked away reading this Gospel probably for the first time in his life. And I was, I was just, I knew at that moment what that was what I wanted to do. I thought, I'm fed up of trying to debate with my atheist friends and getting nowhere. But if there are people out there who have never heard... I want some of that. But amazingly, my friend who came with me said that he did not even notice that there were people from different cultures there. I want to just give us three very quick kind of um, practical things. And the first is that we all have to start somewhere. You know, some of us really do feel like meeting to veg kind of people who, it's not really our thing, but we all have to start somewhere. But we do need to start. Peter did not have the advantages that Paul did. He was not widely traveled. I didn't particularly have any advantages of crossing cultures at all. And yet, that moment in West Bromwich was a life-changing moment because God was at work. What will it take just to make a start? 
Just simply going up to somebody and talking and just being a normal human being to them is a start. And, and secondly, crossing cultures is really not as hard as it looks. You see, when Peter and his companions entered Cornelius' house, received his hospitality, and actually sat and ate with him, that very action shouted loud and clear that God loved him, loved them, valued them, and was holding out his arms of love to them. And so that the gospel went from the Jewish world into the Gentile world, not because Peter crossed an ocean, but because he crossed into someone's house and received his hospitality. You know, I've seen the power of learning someone's name. You know, we all say that we're no good at learning names, but I have seen it when somebody walks into our international student cafe uh, and uh, someone says, hey, Makiko, it's nice, it's nice to see you. How was your week? And her, her face lights up because that's almost certainly the only time in her week when somebody other than her Japanese friends had actually remembered her name and used it. We had a, a Vietnamese uh, girl who came to uh, someone's home in Oxford, and they were doing like an international student event, uh, and this girl wandered into their kitchen and saw a post-it note on their fridge that said, remember, take Nyung to train station. Nyung was her name. And she took a photograph of it and put it on Facebook. She said, you don't know what that means, that there's somebody in this country who has got a post-it note on the fridge to remind them to do something for me. Another girl from Malaysia um, came to our church and uh, asked one of our older church members uh, about a problem that she was having an infestation of um, um, spiders. Uh, and they said, well, you've got to go to this shop and buy this particular product, the spray. So she went the next day, and as she went to the, uh, ask the shopkeeper for this particular spray, she said, he said, um, is your name Rachel? He said, how, how do you know my name? He said, well, a couple came in earlier and asked me to set it aside. This, he said that an Asian student would come in and ask for it. And she was just really touched by that small, small thing. You see, the gap between what we are doing to connect with the cultures around us and what we can do is shockingly small. But the results of those little acts of obedience are immense. And finally... As we see from this story, Peter's experience is that in any act of love crossing cultures, we so often find that God has gone ahead of us. As we act in obedience to the Holy Spirit, we find that the Holy Spirit has been working in their lives long, long before we got there. So in all these things, I think it just takes a little to start that journey of obedience, that adventure that we talked about this morning, to see God do amazing things of people who may not be physically very far away, but may feel culturally different from us. Let's pray. Lord, as we're sitting here, I pray that you would lay on our hearts um, someone nearby, a neighbor, a colleague, uh, somebody at the school gate, um, 
a fellow student, or somebody would just keep walking past on the street. And I pray, Father, that you'd give us the opportunity to make appropriate, gentle, and kind contact. That simply just talking to them would make the world of difference. Help us, Lord, to not be overwhelmed and fearful of mistakes. Help us to be self-forgetful in our act of love. And I pray that that would start something really precious of bringing the gospel to the nations, even those very near to us. Amen.